I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need, and get 10% off with the code all caps FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10, to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes out there? Doc Askins coming straight at your head with another one of these Q5 podcast episodes that everybody loves so much where I ask a diverse array of people the exact same questions. And then we see, we compare notes. How similar and how different are we actually whenever we scratch below the surface? I've got a treat for you today. I've got Dr. Ben Malcolm, who earned his bachelor's degree in pharmacology at the University of California at Santa Barbara prior to his master's in public health and doctorate of pharmacy at Turo University in California. He then completed postgraduate residencies in acute care at Scripps Mercy Hospital and psychiatric pharmacy at the University of California at San Diego Health. After residency, he passed his exam to become board certified in psychiatric pharmacy and began his career as an assistant clinical professor at Western University of Health Sciences College of Pharmacy before transitioning to his current entrepreneurial role as a psycho pharmacology consultant, psychedelic educator, and the founder of spiritpharmacist.com. Ben Malcolm, the spirit pharmacist, envisions a society in which access to psychedelic drugs in a variety of safe and supported settings is available for purposes of psycho-spiritual well-being, personal development, ceremonial sacraments, and treatment of mental illnesses. His focus is on the intersection between psychiatric medications and psychedelic therapies. He has given several continuing education presentations to pharmacists and other healthcare professionals, as well has published over a dozen articles in peer-reviewed literature relating to psychedelics or psychiatric medications. His vision guides his clinical and education service-related professional activity. Ben, it's an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Likewise. It's really great to be here. Let's just get rocking and rolling with question number one. What's your story? Yeah, what's your story? Well, first of all, I really like this this Q5 kind of format because I think that allows me to say things I don't normally say about myself on, on podcasts. So when I thought of this, I was kind of like, what do you mean? What's my story? Like, what part of my story are you really interested in? So yeah, there's the how did you become the spirit pharmacist story? And I think we probably should like put a little bit of that in there. But I kind of want to like back up and almost do like more like origin story type of stuff ahead of time. So I was born in Hobart, Tasmania in 1985. <laughs> I lived Mapa in Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like like Tas Devil in the house here. I'll be running around in a cyclone and 
that kind of stuff, yes, right? Yes, I um, love it. So uh, I grew up in Tasmania until I was about 10 years old. And I moved to Eugene, Oregon, the United States at, at that period of time. And I had a great childhood. Like I loved my childhood. I have like really great memories growing up of the friends that I, that I had there. I would say moving to the United States is probably like, I don't know if I can call it like big T trauma, but it was a difficult time or like a difficult event in my life. And at the time I didn't acknowledge that. I didn't notice that. It was only a long time later could I actually see it because I would start thinking about my life and, and think, why do I just not remember much of my childhood? And through my kind of psychiatric training and whatnot, it was like, hmm, maybe if you don't remember much, then perhaps it was like a really bad time and you're kind of like dissociating a lot and, you know, those memories would be repressed and things like that. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's actually the opposite is that when I came to the United States, it was a difficult transition because I had established friends and I was 10 or 11 years old at the time. And I didn't have a choice. Like there was no choice in, in this matter at all. You just kind of had to move on with life and adapt and adjust to the circumstances that, you know, you're, you're given. And I think that it was easier to kind of push away my childhood in Australia and, and not explicitly acknowledge how much I really enjoyed it there compared to living in Eugene, Oregon. And that's why I like almost like chosen to forget certain aspects of it. Right. So I was determined to leave Eugene, Oregon by about age 15 years old. My friend had shown me a picture of UC Santa Barbara that was like, hey, you could go to this college on the beach. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. And so I worked hard as a competitive swimmer. That, that was it because there was no Division I swimming programs in the state of Oregon. So I knew if I could be a good enough Division I swimmer to get a scholarship, it was my ticket out of the state of Oregon. And I was successful. I managed to go to UC Santa Barbara on a partial swimming scholarship. So I think that that maybe is just different than most kids. It's like I decided where I wanted to go when I was a freshman in high school and I needed to create an athletic scholarship to get there. And I was able to do that in the, the four years of high school. And that was like, huge for me at the time because I just remember thinking, dude, if you put your mind to big goals, you can make them happen. Like, like it was like a real huge proof of concept for me that you'd had this vision kind of kicking around in your head for three or four years. Then all of a sudden you're getting on the train and going on your recruiting trip. All of a sudden, you were getting the scholarship offers, you know, things like that, right? So I lived many places in California. I did my undergraduate there. I did pharmacy school in the, in the Bay Area. I did a couple years of postgraduate residency in San Diego. And then I worked at a university, at a college of pharmacy out west in, well, not out west, 30 miles east <laughs> of Los Angeles for about four and a half years. So I lived probably like four or five different places in California over a period of about 20 years. And, you know, the spirit pharmacist was doing a little moonlighting on the side. And then the pandemic happened and there was officially no boundaries between my university work and kind of side consulting job. And as that pandemic year went on, I don't know, the, the review the applications and head this you know, really important committee of faculty stuff and things like that, that became less exciting to me. And the kind of like passion project that I've been building on the side 
with Spirit Pharmacist was growing and it was becoming more exciting. And by probably the third quarter of that year, I was just kind of like, I think I'm going to do this. Like, I think I'm going to be this psychopharmacology consultant and the Spirit Pharmacist as a full-time type of gig or venture. You know, I was extremely disenchanted with the United States by that period of time, the kind of culture and politics and you know, frankly, not being born in the United States, it's like I was never a nationalist. I was never a patriot. I was never America, rah, 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 like that kind of like thing. I grew up with swimming, Aussie rules, football and cricket, you know, like basketball, <laughs> baseball, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever the uh, third NFL. <laughs> you see, I don't even know like the big like sports, <laughs> right? It, it's just yeah. sort of like, how do you score a goal? Unit right. So, so you can understand it's sort of like, how do you fit in as a 14 year old in the United States with an Australian accent when you just don't care about basketball or football or baseball, right? You literally have like no way of connecting with anyone. I mean, that's not true, right? But there's something about the culture that if you're not into that, then you just like don't fit or like don't belong or, or something like that. So maybe because I moved at the age of 10, maybe because I left Oregon when I was 18, maybe because I moved around California a bunch of times, right? But I'm this kind of person that's changed scenery a number of times in my life. And at this point in time, I'm in Costa Rica. I've been here for the last couple of years and I absolutely love it. It took about eight or nine months, but all of a sudden I would just kind of like be like, this is it. My whole life I've been looking for this place that felt like home and I couldn't find it in Oregon. I couldn't find it anywhere in California. And I kind of found it here, at least for right now, it just feels better than any other place that I've been, maybe with the exception of Tasmania, but I haven't been back there for, you know, over 20 years now. So I'm not exactly sure you know, what I would think of it at this point in time. So that's the kind of like, how did I get here as far as like a, yeah, an origin yeah. story type of thing? I don't know. Do you want it's beautiful different different levels of what's your story? Or are we good for the moment? How do we... It's, you know, like I said, it's my podcast. It's your episode. You tell your story your way. Yeah, I'd love to so, hear more. So I was just gravitated towards psychoactive drugs at a young age. I was watching shows like Intervention on A&E where there was, you know, someone that had a really heavy substance use disorder and like the treatment model is just awful, right? It was like, you take your entire friends and family and they corner them and they're like, quit now or you're cut off from all of us, right? It's like the absolute like worst model of addiction treatment you could imagine. But it piqued my interest in addictive substances as a teenager. I was also just very interested in like true crime, forensic files, like the intersection of consciousness, drugs, and criminal activity have always been like something that's just like, I really like that sort of zone <laughs> overall. Like I just, instead of like, like a, I find it fascinating. Instead of like the serial killer triad, you've got like the spirit pharmacist triad there. Yeah, well, well a little bit. I mean, like, uh, I, I mean, I mean, psychopathy is just fascinating, right? Like, like before as a spirit mm -hmm, pharmacist, absolutely. I was a psychiatric pharmacist. And so, you know, sure. the zebras, like the weird things in consciousness, like the, the persons that, you know, personally, I believe are like biologically wired to have no empathy. Like I, I think like there's a hereditary type of like thing to sociopathy or like psychopathy, like, like, like sometimes the monsters are made, but I think that there is a genetic part of some psychopaths that's just kind of like, that's, that's just how it was type of thing. But I digress. That's Certainly not part of, of my story. Culminating together. <laughs> that's not right? part of my story. Some epigenetics yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, not, yeah, not part of your I story. Yeah, a little sure. bit, right? Sure. Like, yeah, that's not what a psychopath would say at all. Yeah, yeah sure. Not your story. Yeah. Anyway, your story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... 
So I was just interested in psychoactives and particularly drugs that could cause addiction, which got me reading about them on the on the Internet. And that's how I found psychedelics. I found MDMA and psilocybin on, on Arrowwood. I was probably a freshman or sophomore okay. in, yeah, in yeah, high yeah. school and read about yeah, you them. You were a researcher real early. Right, huh? like read about yeah, them yeah. for a few years. And by the time I was like you know, 17 and a half, 18 or so, I was like, I got to try these in the next like year or two. Like, I think that these are like really substances that like, you know, you read about them all day. And it's kind of like, you kind of become convinced after a while, like reading the anecdotes, the trajectories of what happens to people when they use are generally positive with those. Whereas like other illicit drugs I was reading about, it wasn't positive and it was a very, very different sort of story overall. So I was kind of, I would say like I had an intellectual curiosity that led to an experiential curiosity. And I kind of bounced back and forth between, you know, just being very intellectually interested in psychedelics and psychoactive substances and trying different ones. I did not know like, oh, I want, I'm going to be the spirit pharmacist when I was like 18 years old. It was just more like, I think I should probably study something that's actually interesting to me. I'm the kind of person that gets bored kind of like quickly. And like, I need something that like actually like stimulates me or like fascinates me and something to like keep me going. So it was more like, I'm just going to keep learning in this direction of pharmacy because I know I like studying this rather than I know what I want to be at the end of the day. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know, but I like studying this. And so I'm going to keep following that until something kind of comes up. And eventually it did. It was probably in my first year of a pharmacy residency after graduate, I was kind of burnt out. I was working in the hospital a lot and someone gave me a flyer for a second year residency in psychiatric pharmacy and something just clicked. It was just kind of like, dude, you've been in graduate school and undergraduate doing this stuff for like 10 plus years now. You still don't know what you want to be, but the most fascinating thing to you right now is the thing that piqued your curiosity over a decade ago. Maybe it should be that. Maybe you should do that. <laughs> right? The pieces finally came together. Maybe I should just maybe I should just be who I am. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. So, it took a while to figure it out, but yeah, eventually it became clear like, yeah, you should be a psychiatric pharmacist that specializes in in psychedelics and, you know, I think that everyone in psychedelics that's either an advocate or an enthusiast, it's like, well, I don't really want to like push psychedelics on people. Like my goal is just to give them information about whatever meds they're taking, whatever psychedelics they're interested in and let them make the best decision for their health overall. Right. So, so it's like, I don't want to be in a position where I'm pushing persons to use psychedelics per se. But I think that most of us that are in this position of advocating or being an enthusiast to, to an degree have have experienced some level of healing with it. And so for me, you know, it's probably more like dysthymia and depression, workaholism, burnout, people pleasing. I was a yes man for a long time. And yes, 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 yes. Oh, I just said yes to this stack of shit that I don't really want to do. And now <laughs> I'm exhausted and tired and don't have time to take care of myself. Right. So codependence, like people pleasing, so I would say like psychedelics have really helped me find who I am and do what I really am passionate about, but also help my mental health, get out of the burnout, depression, workaholism zone, learn how to draw a boundary. You know, if it's right, get rid of the toxic people in your life, like things like that, where I don't know, it's helped me clean things up a little bit and gosh, 
Is my side of the street just immaculately clean and spotless at this point in time? No, it's not. Like it, it's not, you know, but they've been very, very helpful for, for me. And so you say like, what's your story? I actually think about this all the time. It's sort of like this story is we're in the middle of the book right now. Like, you know, there's still many, many chapters to kind of come and I'm not really sure what's going to unfold, but I have enjoyed things so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, not to oversimplify things, but it sounds like a story of human flourishing to me. I like that. Yeah. I'll go with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're blossoming. You're blooming. It's beautiful. (laughs) Truth. Yeah. Truth. I appreciate you sharing that much. You know, I know uh, the origin story is always important. And then getting to hear what's been going on lately, that that brings us more or less up to date. It's interesting that you find Costa Rica to be home too, because I feel like maybe we all have kind of like an internal topography. And when we find a place external to that, that matches, it just feels like home. But, uh, you know, sometimes you got to globetrot a little bit to figure out where the the matches and you're just kind of in a mismatch there in order yeah. until you, and maybe in California until you kind of found your way down to Costa Rica. Well, again, it's sort of like when I think about like my three favorite places, Tasmania, here in Costa Rica, Santa Barbara, it's like all places on the Pacific ocean. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's like, yeah. they're all places on the Pacific ocean. You see Santa Barbara has lots of eucalyptus groves. They're not a native native species there, but I think that there was something about coming to UC Santa Barbara. It was like, I recognize this place, but it's been like eight or 10 years since I've been there. So it's like a new place, but there there was something that there was no like kangaroos or whatever, but there was something about it that was kind of like, oh yeah. So the sort of inland, gray, dreary Pacific Northwest, some cool people there, but just not the environment for me. Yeah. 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 Those are important recognitions to make for sure. What a great story. So transitioning then from the past with your story to the future with your intentions. What are your intentions? Yeah. So, so I think as like the, the spirit pharmacist or just as a psychiatric pharmacist, or maybe just as a pharmacist, like period, right. You could kind of like back up through these sorts of like layers. Cause what I'm doing as the spirit pharmacist with the psychedelics is probably not really that inherently different than what a regular pharmacist tries to do with other types of substances or drugs. Right. So the intention there is safe and effective drug use that allows persons to have the experiences they want, right? So there's their recognition on safe and effective use, sure, but it's kind of safe and effective use merged with cognitive liberty, right? Like, because again, like you read at the beginning, I'm not just about psychedelics within a medical paradigm. Yes, I'm really happy that this research is happening. I'm so stoked at the safety data that it's generating because, I don't know, the data is setting these substances free. The data is vindicating them, right? It's, it's really like wonderful what's coming out of there. But do I believe you have to have a refractory illness to benefit from psychedelics? You know, absolutely not. You know, that doesn't really make sense to me. So, yeah, safe and effective drug use within the context of allowing people to explore the world and consciousness and have the experiences that, that they want, right? You know, like ultimately, like my intention is to be the kind of person that moves humanity towards being an ecological steward of the planet. I think that humanity right now kind of rolls with this idea that like, I don't know, God created the planet for man, not for the jellyfish, not for the dolphins, not for the trees, not for the oceans, for man. So man plunders and man pillages and man does whatever the heck he wants with it. And man destroys himself in the process. 
right? Which it just doesn't seem like the relationship's right. Like, like literally, the I, hero's I, like I feel like our consciousness is about the quality of a toddler, right? It's sort of like, it's like the world is like a stack of blocks and the toddler has not yet learned how to like stack the blocks into something nice. Okay. And all it knows how to do is smash down the tower right now. <laughs> Right. Like when I think of like the invention of plastic, I'm kind of like, where were the regulators when on day one, you know, when that when that came out, like before it was completely integrated into the fabric of society in ways that make it almost impossible to like live your life without Mm it. Right. It just kind of like, why? Like, like where were where were the people that were critically thinking at that point in time? So, yeah, I want to get out of this ideology that the world is made for man and into the ideology that, you know, man is part of the world. Man is not an alpha predator, but man has this level of intelligence that allows him to be a steward of biodiversity on the planet. So, so my, my intention is like for, to move humanity towards what I consider to be their right place on the planet and have the right relationship with animals and nature and spirit in general. Yeah, get uh, nested into the ecosystem rather than trying to like ride on top of it. Yeah, instead of like dictating the ecosystem and wiping everything out in the process, it's kind of like to live with what's what's there in a way that supports everyone. You know, it's totally possible. Oh yeah, it's a you know a holarchy instead of a hierarchy. Yeah, you know, there's lots of talk about racism. It's an important thing, right? But speciesism is the one of the biggest problems, I think is just prioritizing human life over anything else, right? Because it just, it's going to bite us in the butt, you know? It's- yeah. Cause we're, uh, we're a part of a network, right? Like you, you build a big old castle and you put a cannon on top of it and you shoot the cannon straight back into the castle. That's a mistake. Yeah, exactly. To understate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't shit in your own nest, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Nailed it. Uh, I think, I think the third intention, like one other intention I'll put out there is to be kind and to be kinder as I get older, like to get kinder and softer as I get older and, you know, less angry, less quick to snap, less impatience. Like we were talking a little bit before this, we were talking about the, the anti-hero's journey. And if you followed me around for a week, there'd be moments where I look like a hero and moments where I look like a villain, right? So I think I'm acknowledging here that I have some heroic moments where I get to step into this kind of kindness. And I think I'm acknowledging too that I see interactions and things that occur that I could have been more kind. I could have stopped and thought and paused and checked myself and come up with a different response. And I try through email. A lot of the time, I, I switched my signature line in pharmacy school from regards to kind regards. And I think that this has been helpful for me because it forces me to write the word kind at the end of every email. And then it forces me to sometimes reread the email and think, is this kind? Like, like you're saying kind regards. Is it actually kind what you're sending? Or is it, you know, like... <laughs> Rubber, 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 insult to injury. Yeah, yeah, calling this kind like this kind of (laughs) Taz. (laughs) Yeah, so so kindness is you know who who I want to be, who I strive to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, You know, like at this point, I think my relationship status with everything is it's complicated. Yeah, those are some beautiful intentions. Be kinder and be you know, and just don't shit where you eat. Yeah, those are those are good intentions, right? 
Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. The way that I try to bridge the past and the future and bring things into the present is through gratefulness. So that's why the third question is, what are you grateful for? Yeah. Yeah. Just life, man. Just living. This is this reggae song. It's called Give Thanks. Wonderful song. It's like a it's like a hymn, right? It's it's just like incredible, like as far as the lyrics. But, but you want to sing it? Oh man, sure. Let's see here. Uh well, I know it's a long, long road, but we're ready to go. Do, 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 do. I found beauty in the balance in between all the highs and the lows. I forget the next lyrics, but you're ready to go. <laughs> so basically, awesome. it's about, you know, that, that life isn't beautiful all the time, but you're grateful for the balance of the highs and the lows. And I think that that one has just really hit me the last couple of years. I've been going through a lot personally. I've been going through a, a separation in my personal life. And there has just been moments where it's like, I feel ecstatically liberated and grateful for where I've landed and what I do beyond like what I could even imagine like 10 years ago. And there's been times that have been really, really tough, right? And being able to feel all of it, right? And not just sort of being numb to the joy and numb to the pain, but, but really being able to be like, this is so hard right now, or this is so beautiful, I'm crying. You know, that, that kind of dynamic shift that you have in your life. And, and breathing, it's so good. You know, it's, it really is like, I don't know if there's anybody in your audience here that that uses cannabis. Maybe there is right. One thing that I think that you should do if you like cannabis is to smoke a fake joint. Right. Like, like pretend <laughs> that you got a joint lit and, <laughs> and just suck in the sweet air and just puff on life for a little bit. You feel really good yeah, after yeah, yeah. a few minutes of just yeah. acting out like the breathing mechanisms to the point where I'm kind of like, I think that maybe half the reason yeah. that using cannabis relaxes people is that they force themselves to take some intentional breaths, even if it's just one yes. big bong rip, yes. right? Like there's something that's intentional about breathing there, right? But but truly, you can try it without the drugs. And it's also a really cool exercise or, or thing to do if, you're, if you've never done it before. This should be like a whole space spirit pharmacist breathwork workshop where you just have people smoke fake joints or whatever next conference you get invited <laughs> you, to speak just hyperventilate off this fake joint and <laughs> book a session with me afterwards to integrate your experience you know i love it you know my daughter god i'm so grateful for her she's literally just the best thing that's ever happened to me and the time that we spent Kids together it's just amazing yeah water like water is one of the things that it's just kind of like, gosh, when you, ah, oh man, just when just cold water just goes down the back of your throat when you're thirsty. And it's like, often, like I'm like an audible drinker where I'm like, oh, oh, oh that's so good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Kind yeah, of yeah, thing. yeah. 
Yeah, my wife gets mad at me every time I take a drink because it's legitimately loud. Like, I can't be mad at her for being mad at me, right? Like, it's my fault. But yeah, right, it's, it's delicious. It's like, wow, did a band of camels arrive at the Oasis or what? <laughs> it sounds so... <laughs> yeah. So it's just the simplicity. Is this the first time you've yeah. ever had a drink, man? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. So water, yeah, how's your daughter? nature, breath. She's five and a half. Yeah. So nice. she just said she's age. at a golden yeah. age too, like the age of like pretend, like the age of yeah. You know, you yeah. She can stack blocks. You like pick up a pen and it's like, Daddy, pretend this is the jousting thing for the horses. <laughs> you're like, that's yes. exactly what it is. Like, <laughs> I'm all over it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> pretend this, pretend nice. that, and then and then pretend that this happens. It's it's like, mm. oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They're putting together their little stories already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then and then and then right. narrative. <laughs> just so beautiful, nice. so precious. Like just exactly try to cherish the moments with her. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful list of things to be grateful for. All the elements plus family. Yeah. yeah. So with all of your story and all your intentions and all of your gratefulness, what are you creating? Well, I'm creating a niche in spiritual pharmacy. That's like one thing that I'm creating is kind of like a, a specialty for maybe healthcare professionals, but particularly pharmacy and pharmacists within psychedelics. And I think part of it is, okay, like, psych, you know, a pharmacist can be helpful as far as screening, looking at drug interactions, what else? Counseling, education, like, like pharmacists are very good at those kinds of like things, but I think like spiritual pharmacy beyond just helping people with the standard types of things like a pharmacist would do, you know, with psychedelics, it's more of a recognition that drug use can have a spiritual quality to it as well. Like there's blood pressure meds that make your blood pressure go down or anti-dementia drugs that are supposed to boost your cognition or SSRIs that are supposed to change your kind of like emotional composition, but it's sort of like missing from pharmacy or just drug use generally that they can create spiritual types of states and that these types of substances could be incredible probes to understanding what kind of biological construct a human being even has as far as spirituality and perhaps like like the adaptive properties of that like like why does that exist like like why would we be imbued with this kind of like sense of a spiritual existence so yeah, that's one thing I'm trying to do, you know, creating a resource and education like center for persons that are interested in psychedelic pharmacology and drug interaction. Like that's what I'm trying to do. And then just be an example of how a pharmacist can be a, a professional that gets paid for their knowledge and time. Maybe that parallels, you know, that functions like parallel to the traditional healthcare system. But this has been a really big deal in pharmacy for a very, very long time. You know, when I was in pharmacy school in 2010 to 2014, it was all about provider status because all of these other healthcare professions are recognized as providers of healthcare, whereas a pharmacist is not recognized as a provider of healthcare. Most of the pharmacists in America, probably 75, maybe even 80% of them work in retail pharmacy types of settings. And the model there is that the insurance company pays the pharmacy when the pharmacy dispenses a product. So there's no incentive to teach people how to use medicines. There's no incentive to ensure that they're going to use the medicine right. The incentives are all placed upon how much product can we dispense in the shortest period of time possible. 
you know, they're hourly waged employees. They work 10 to 12 hour shifts. They're understaffed. They can't even get a bathroom break half the time or an adequate lunch because the pharmacy can't run without the pharmacist in it. Right. So unfortunately, pharmacists have not achieved provider status yet. That would require amending the Social Security Act, which is an act of Congress not exactly easy to achieve, but it's just a bummer because, I mean, I saw these headlines in 2010. I see them now. And sadly, you can look at the cover of Pharmacy Times from 1980 and the headline is the same. Provider status just around the corner, right? So I think that, you know, part of the reason that I created this model is that I believe that the knowledge a pharmacist has is integral. It's critical. And I believe that there's no way that someone should go to a four-year doctorate of pharmacy program, be trained as a clinical pharmacist that has these skill sets in being able to screen almost any medication regimen for for drug interactions, you know, design protocols for safe use of psychedelics, like on and on and on. The, The level of training that you get just to be the most underutilized healthcare professional that gets paid to dispense products at an hourly wage. And oh, by the way, they really ramped up the number of pharmacy schools because CVS said that there was a shortage and now the wages are just dropping, right? So pharmacy as a profession, I think, is is having a, a hard time overall right now because the public doesn't really know what they're, they do or what they're capable of doing. And then they're just not compensated the way a healthcare provider should be or not even recognize that they are a, a healthcare provider. So part of what I'm trying to do is create a model where it's even if it's penny for your thoughts type of model, it's actually like, yeah, I set my own hours, right? Yeah, I get paid for my knowledge and time. Last time I checked, that's the definition of an actual professional, right? A professional gets paid for what they do. An amateur doesn't right? A shop seller, they sell products like, you know, merchant type of of thing. And nothing wrong with that, like nothing wrong with being a merchant, right? But if you, unless you go to a doctorate of pharmacy program for four years, and then I just think that it's kind of like, how do you settle there? Like, how do you settle there? Yeah. You spend four years learning how to count pills, right? Like that's all you do. Oh, yeah, count by you know, five. Like it gets, you know, it's yeah, just sort yeah, of yeah. like, like, like why? Re- like Everybody's reductionistic about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was tangentially aware of a lot of that, you know, and I'll tell you some of the best professors that I had in physician assistant school were the clinical pharmacologists. Like there were, there were some exams that I wouldn't have passed. It was, if it wasn't for the notes from the pharmacists lectures about just the medications in that subject, but the actual subject being taught to me by providers was, was poorly delivered enough that I was like, I'm just going to study the pharmacist's notes on this one and see how the test goes for sure. Yeah. Like to be at the table when these conversations are happening. I think that's another thing. It's like pharmacy, they're very rule following and conservative, like overall. And honestly, like that, that makes a good pharmacist. There's nothing wrong with that. But I saw it with cannabis, right? We need more research. We need more research. We need more research. Oh, it's federally illegal. We need more research. And then, zoop. okay, here's the model. It's all rolled out. Where's the pharmacist roll? Nowhere. Cause they weren't at the table. Now the psychedelic things happening. And it's like, Hey guys, you want like, you know, like the therapists are staking their ground, like physicians, psychiatrists, they're staking their piece in it. 
you know, I see nurses and whatnot advocating. There is a psychedelic pharmacist association. So I have to give my profession like some some credit. There are groups of pharmacists that are really interested and in re- really trying to push this, you know, forward. So I don't want to like make it out like, you know, I'm the only person that's interested in this as a pharmacist because that's not really true. But I just think it's 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 just a similar repeating story about you've got this like hot new trend coming along and it has to do with drugs and you're not able to see where things are going. And instead it's like eyes fixed on the rear of your mirror and still thinking about the sixties. And it's just sort of like, no, (laughs) no. Yeah. And some of that was a surprise to me coming into civilian practice out of the military because the the military does a lot of things very, very poorly. But one of the things that I got to see was a lot of collaboration across all the allied health professions in the Ireland Army Community Hospital on Fort Campbell there. The way that they integrated, uh, you know, clinical pharmacists into the ongoing conversations and patient care among all the levels of providers there was just, it, it set a standard that I didn't realize wasn't the standard other places until I got out into the world and like had to grow up. It was like, oh, oh you guys didn't know pharmacists? No how to do all of this stuff. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a pharmacist is the, is the treatment expert, right? Right. So it's like when it comes to the level of like we have a diagnosis, it's time to treat. It's almost time to hand it off to the pharmacist. I mean, I think of physicians or doctors point. as diagnostic experts, like a physician is supposed to be able to take a person that's not feeling well and figure out why you're not feeling well. Like that's their job is diagnosis. Right. They oftentimes prescribe treatments and know something about them. But it's actually the pharmacist that's usually more knowledgeable about the treatments, how they're used, the logistics, their mechanisms, which ones are cost effective, what can be covered, like things like that, right? So it's almost like the way the model should be is that, you know, at the point of diagnosis, when treatment is being considered, that's when the pharmacist needs to needs to sort of be there, not after it's written on a pad send it to the pharmacy and now the subordinate pharmacist fills whatever orders and, and you know, like dispenses a product to, to earn their, you know, eroded with living. Especially with complex <laughs> yeah. cases where each specialty is writing their ideal, you know, prescription protocol for one single patient, right. but you've got neurology, psychiatry, right. critical care, fam- the family practice, like everybody's got a finger in it and they're all saying, this is what we need to do for this complicated case. And who's really at the, like the nexus of all of that? It's the pharmacist. Yeah. Like how many chronic diseases does the average person over 65 have? You know, like how many specialists on average consultant with somebody that goes into a hospital room? More than one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's getting to be where it's all of them all the time anymore. You know, some, some places for sure. Well, I appreciate you dropping that level of knowledge on, on the audience. I'm not sure that my target audience would have been familiar with that, but I don't, I don't know them that well yet. We're just getting started here. So maybe that's right up their alley, but I, I very much appreciate that level of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I do something different, but I don't know. I became a pharmacist because I like the profession of pharmacy and I worked in academia because I wanted to be an ambassador for pharmacy. And now that I'm in this world where I interact with alternative healthcare, you know, lay persons, you know, persons that are interested in psychedelic healing, other types of like healthcare professionals, lots of therapists, right? It's sort of like, it's still just a wonderful opportunity to be an advocate for pharmacy because pharmacy is necessary. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we got a few minutes left here and we're coming to the biggest question of them all. Question number five, everybody's favorite. 
Ben Malcolm, spirit pharmacist. Who are you really? I don't know. I don't know. I think that's part of this is the fun for me is that the mystery gets deeper the older I get. Now, I think if you would have asked me this when I was like 13, I would have given you a very exact answer. And it probably would have had to do a lot with the first question, like, what's your story? Like, what's your story would have been who I am at some point in time. I think it's different now. You know, I've been reading recently because it's like, on the one hand, it seems like there is a level of separateness that we have. On the other hand, it seems like all life is connected. And those two things seem sort of paradoxical in in some way, right? But recognizing that I am a being or I'm an interbeing, like I'm a being between a couple other beings, like that kind of thing. So trying to soften the sort of illusion of self or like the concreteness of self, I guess, is sort of like, okay, well, I don't want to be like, completely boundaryless and like bleeding into another person and believing that I have no separateness at all, because I think that that like being really grounded in that sense of, of separateness, it makes it harder to be kind. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas if you're sort of thinking, Hey, you know, this person, unkind regards, this person is a part of me somehow, or, you know, how I treat this person will eventually come back to me in some way, shape or form. That's helpful. Right. You know, I get this weird sense sometimes that I'm just some kind of like frequency or note the same way that you could say like ohm is like a universal note. Like there's something where that like there's a frequency of me. I didn't mention this, but I play some instruments. So the original nice. the instrument that I play the best, right, is the didgeridoo, which is a drone instrument, yes! which is just all about frequency and, yeah. and things of that nature. So I feel like it's kind of like yeah, yeah. tied into that somehow. <laughs> Did you ever see the study on treating sleep apnea yeah. with didgeridoo? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I love, I love that that study's out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so for the, the audience that maybe is not aware, the didgeridoo is basically the world's oldest woodman instrument. It's a long tube of wood. It doesn't have a reed. You just blow in it, and it has a an opening, probably somewhere between a trombone and a tuba, as the size. And you really have a similar embouchure to brass as well as far as the way you like buzz your lips and 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 blow into it. But it makes a, a, a long, slow droning sound. And almost everybody has heard the didgeridoo, but not everybody would recognize that they've heard it, right? Like it's featured in a lot of like sound clips, you know, like a theme song for Survivor and things, you know, type yeah, of yeah, like yeah. thing, right? Where yeah. everyone's heard a didgeridoo, but not everyone It was like dubstep before dubstep got going. Yeah, yeah didgeridub, yeah. man. dubstep. All right, so if you... <laughs> I mean, if you want to, you know, Ben Malcolm didgeridoo, you'll find some YouTube videos that aren't about psychedelic pharmacy that uh, I think are pretty sweet. I love this. That's going in the show notes a hundred (laughs) percent. Sometimes I feel like I'm this sort of like, like this is one plane of existence, but it's like netted with these others that you can't really see, but things that are happening on the other planes are like affecting me somehow. So maybe like, like almost like, string theory-ish, like a conglomeration of like woven reality layers or something. Transdimensionality and all that. Yeah, yeah. Like this is a good one that I use sometimes with the separateness and like oneness type of things is kind of like, well, you know, maybe if I sample the cells in my body and I asked the heart cell, the cardiomyocyte, hey, are you related to that hepatocyte that's hanging out in the liver? 
And the cardiomyocyte would be like, oh, no way. Look, I've got this like phospholipid bilayer. It kind of like cool seals me in. And it's like, I'm totally yeah. this independent thing. We like pump over here, do our like muscle contraction type of thing. I like this analogy. Right? So I sort yeah, of think yeah, of yeah. it as like, okay, there's what, seven and a half billion people. Every single person thinks that they're separate to some degree. Yeah, Maybe there's a I few like that are like completely enlightened, right? But like most of us think that we're, you know, separate to, to some level of degree. So maybe it's like cells in the body in that, you know, if you assemble all human beings, it creates something or maybe all life, it creates something that we can't truly understand what its function is. Like my cardiomyocyte probably does not understand that it's part of Ben, right? But but you kind of get the analogy is that, okay, yeah, we're in this yeah, own yeah. little container. We are a cell in the body of life, whatever that organism actually is or whatever it actually is. You know, the universe, like the lot. universe like bent back to like observe itself for what purpose? I'm not exactly sure. Because it's fun. Yeah. And nobody too special, you know, like I get a lot, like a lot of the times it's sort of, oh my God, how did you, like I get like tons of appreciation for, for what I do. And that is just incredible. It's so validating and affirming for the path that I've chosen and things like that. But, you know, overall, I'm just a regular human being. You know, like, like, so, like sometimes, like I meet a few people recently and it's almost like the spirit pharmacist in person. And it's sort oh, of like, yes, he floats towards us because he's a spirit. It's like, yeah. I'm getting ciabatta bread at this bakery. <laughs> right. Like it's, yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really, I always liked Ram Dass's sort of like, who am I? It's like nobody, like nobody yeah, yeah. really yeah. that special. Right. It's like, it's when you're thinking that you're somebody, you think you're better than other people. and I get caught in those modes of thought sometimes and you know, it's, it's reasonable to acknowledge where your skill sets lie, but my gosh, for me personally, I just feel like all of my knowledge is concentrated in this extremely tiny little slice of pie. And then everything else is just don't know very much about anything else. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's an awesome answer. I really like that a lot. It, it blossomed out again. It flourished from you. Who are you really? I like it. You got any final thoughts for our audience? Well, if you liked this interview and you wanted to follow Spirit Pharmacist, you can, right? So I am on social media. I have Instagram, Facebook. I do a little bit of LinkedIn, but really probably subscribing to my email list is the best. I do do a monthly clinical research kind of digest where I go through PubMed and pick six or seven of what I think are just the best articles relating to psychedelics that are coming out in the last month or two. And I summarize that for my list. I do webinar workshops. I have courses in psychedelic pharmacology. I have one course in antidepressant tapering because those are medications that oftentimes persons are needing to do something with if they're wanting to try serotonin-based psychedelics. I do psychopharmacology consulting. Basically, if you like me, follow me, join my email list. That would be the sort of, you know, <laughs> like final plug type of deal for this. Yeah. Yeah, that's the uh, the Fort Benning School of Infantry uh, motto. So follow me. Well, who am I really? You know, internet marketer wasn't on that list, right? It's like part of what I have to do now, but that wasn't really the smoothest call to action right there, if you noticed. It's a, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, brother. This was a really fun conversation. Yeah, I appreciate having me. And again, I love your format. I love that you create the opportunity to 
speak a little bit different and to really share who you are with the audience because it's an important piece of being a human. Thank you, my friend. Doc out. <laughs>